I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Manveen here. Over the course of the next six days, we're putting out the stories of our time series, Who Killed C.J. Davis?, about the death of a 14-year-old boy from East London. This is an award-winning series that we first published last August. If you missed it the first time, I really hope you'll give it a listen. It's presented by The Times crime correspondent, John Simpson. A warning, just before we begin. Some listeners may find some of what we're about to hear distressing. Also... This episode contains some strong language. Hi, my name's Corey, and this is my That's Corey Jr. Davis. CJ, beaming at the camera as he presents an award-winning dance routine on a sunlit rooftop for a YouTube video. Just four years later, CJ is dead shot in the head at point-blank range with a shotgun just outside a children's playground in Newham, East London. It was 2017, and he was 14 years old. His killers have never been caught, but the prevailing theory is that he was killed during a ride-out, slang for gang members touring rival territory to seek out victims. Despite clear CCTV footage showing a blacked-out stolen Range Rover with fake number plates approaching and careering away from the scene, The police have never charged anyone with his murder, nor issued an image of the suspects. You're listening to Who Killed C.J. Davis. I'm John Simpson, the crime correspondent for The Times. This is the first episode in a series examining what happened that day and in the months leading up to his murder. I called my child full of beans and I remember getting a book that actually said that. We'll seek out witnesses and suspects in a case that's been impeded by a code of silence and the spectre of fear. I've heard a hundred million stories from like the media and I've seen things online that people have like bragged about shooting him, but it's not really one person bragging, so you can't put a pinpoint on who has done it. We'll speak to people who have never spoken before and explore how a 14-year-old boy obsessed with dancing wound up at the centre of one of London's bloodiest gang wars. The attempts of friends, family members and various authorities to intervene. When I think about it and I, and I look over the steps, things could have been so different. You'll hear about the gang leader who calls himself the devil and tortures teenage boys. It's just another name for me, isn't it? Devil. You'll hear the drill rap music they make and lyrics that mock CJ's mother's grief. Somebody tell her, I don't give a fuck that her son ain't here. Ever since her son got dropped. 
The whole block ain't done shit. And I was laughing when I saw the pick of a mum just bury a kid. Together, we'll follow CJ from that rooftop dance routine through his struggles at secondary school and his rapid descent into a world of drug dealing, combat knives and body armour. If you can point me in the direction of a 13-year-old who suddenly wakes up one morning and decides, OK, for my career choice, I'm going to be a drug runner. Who does that? We'll discuss the issues he encountered, their broader significance, and what's being done to stop other children being killed on our streets. When you have gangs that can make a young black boy feel better about himself than society, we're in trouble. The aim of this series is to identify CJ's killers. It's been three years since he was murdered, but this isn't a cold case, and it's rare for a UK podcast to take on a live police investigation. We'll be trying to find answers, but we also need your help. There'll be a special tips line and social media accounts for information, which we'll investigate and share. Silence has got to stop. An appeal from the mother of 14-year-old Corey Junior Davis, shot dead in a playground in broad daylight in Forest Gate last month. This boy found the courage to speak up about being forced to sell drugs and living in fear for his life. As a crime reporter, I deal with a lot of murders. In all the years that I've covered murders of young boys involving street violence and gangs, this one stood out. Normally when teenage boys and young men are killed in the street, it's with a knife. The fact that someone levelled a shotgun in the direction of a 14-year-old boy beside a playground, that they killed him in broad daylight, stuck with me. When you get to the spot, is the amount of windows that you see, the amount of visibility that there is for people. It's all the fact that obviously, if anyone's out, but... Hearing gunshots would actually kind of bring your attention to what's going on. Today I'm with CJ's mother, Keisha McLeod, and we're sitting at the spot where he was shot dead. I love talking about him. And I will talk about the good and the bad. I want you to understand the whole picture, and plus understand this is a child that's just gone from having a squeaky voice to now just getting hormones, getting a little bit of a stash. We met Keisha in Forest Gate, in the north of the borough of Newham in East London. We walked to the spot yards away from a nursery CJ attended. At the edge of a residential square among the low-rise housing is a small children's play area with three brick-built planters. Two have trees in, but the third, the middle, is strewn with flowers and candles. A tribute to CJ. These are his friends that come and do this. I've never come to this spot and put anything. They're the ones that come and make this their spot. Before we go any further, you should be aware that some of what you hear now will be distressing. You cannot speak on it until you're in it or in a life-threatening situation, just like which we will speak on, CJ phoning me and saying, Mum, these boys want me to sell drugs. That's not something I would know how to imagine or possibly go through until you're in that moment. These are the things that people need to understand. Not the fact that I'm not condoning what CJ was doing. I was trying to show him this is not the way about it. We don't do those things. We've got ambition. We strive. You can be whoever you want to be. You told me you want to be a mechanic. Let's go with that. CJ's grandparents came to the UK from Jamaica when they were 21 and 18, as children of the Windrush generation. Coincidentally, both had come from the same parish, Clarendon, on their home island. 
But they met on a bus here in Wilsdon, northwest London in the 70s. CJ's grandfather Neville was a bus driver. The couple had Keisha here in London. She's 39, a former council tax officer, and is currently completing a degree in psychosocial studies at Goldsmiths University in South London. She had her first child, a daughter, when she was still a teenager. And then nine years later, on the 29th of December in 2002, her second child was born, a son, Corey Jr., who you'll get to know as CJ. He was born in St Thomas's Hospital in central London. Today, we look at CJ's story. I called my child full of beans, and I remember getting a book that actually said that, and I said, this is you to the T, calling you full of beans, because from he was able to walk or run, he was running. <laughs> he was off like a light. At the age of, I think it was five, he got into, there was a dance group called Diversity at the time, and we lived really close to them. And my gym was right near where their dance studio was. Went there, got him in there. He loved it because he remembered seeing them on TV and they were teaching him certain skills. However, I didn't see him going very far with it. So he was there till he was about seven. And the reason why I say it like this, because it was all about energy at that time. I really didn't see any issues. And then seven, I let him go to a theatre school, which was in South London. So he did drama, dance, and he sung. Like many Jamaican families, the McLeods settled in south-east London. They lived in Deptford, where Keisha grew up. But she and CJ's father, Corey Davis, moved to East London when CJ was still a baby, originally to Dagenham. Corey Senior would soon leave. Keisha relocated to Walthamstow, where CJ would attend Woodside Primary School. They came to me and they said, could be a little issue with your son. He's very energetic. He doesn't stop. He doesn't do sit down very easily. Are we able to do former tests? They believed that he could be on the spectrum of having ADHD. So there was further things that they could do, which was a monitor him in the primary school. A psychologist would come and monitor him. One person would also come and sit with him, ask him certain questions. And they believed that he had ADHD, but on the lower spectrum. So I was fine with understanding that at the time. My family, however, wasn't. We come from a West Indian family, and it's like, if they're doing things that they're not understanding, hit them. Is, is reprimand them and they should do better. <laughs> that, that, that weren't working with my son. And I'm not like my parents. They start saying, oh, he's just bad, he's just bad. I had to stamp that out with my family. Stop saying those words because you're putting a mentality into my son's head and I can see his self-esteem going down. But this same attributes could happen with certain teachers. CJ was just 10 years old when doctors diagnosed his ADHD, a condition estimated to affect between 3 and 5% of children in the UK with boys affected at four times the rate of girls. He was prescribed the drug methylphenidate, more commonly known as Ritalin or Medicanet. But the drug has serious side effects, and the dosage appears to have led to a startling episode at school. He did like a cry for help, basically put himself under a table, put all the wires of the computers and everything around his neck and said he didn't want to be here. So he was under there, under the desk with a pair of scissors and the wires around his necks, saying that he didn't want to be here no more. At this time, this is when the medications just started being used. So we're now trying to see what dosage works for his body. CJ was hearing voices in his head and wrote down for a psychologist what he was hearing, read here by an actor. This what the voices say. You're a stupid pitch. Just kill yourself. No one loves you anyway. And they're a lot small. 
I didn't know how I, I, I couldn't I'm not a person that has ADHD I've never been diagnosed with anything to look at a child feeling like oh I shouldn't be here I couldn't do nothing but embrace him with even more love Corey Senior left when CJ was just eight months old. From then on, Keisha's father, Neville, among other family members, played a central role in raising CJ. My dad always used to pick him up from nursery. So he picked him up from both nurseries, even picked him up from school until he said when he got to year eight, don't need to come no more, Granddad. (laughs) I can walk to half a minute by myself. (laughs) But yeah, they were really, really close. In the autumn of 2016, a year before his murder, she saw a change in her son. Alarm bells sounded. After a series of disciplinary incidents, CJ was asked to leave his secondary school and move to a nearby PRU, or Pupil Referral Unit. Suddenly he was on the police radar and there were warnings he was mixing with troublemakers. I started looking at my son and it felt like I didn't even feel like he was my son at that time. I say it because of all the influences that was being pushed at him and I'm not trying to change or put my son in a better light but this was there was two months when I was just like this this is a child from hell (laughs) I say it that easy because he was just being so so rude so so he was a child that went to Sunday school he knows right from wrong to now go from a child that's been okay and do a thing to be now to be this ignorant little piece of s-h-i-t I used to say I was, it was really frustrating me. So you're not having an iPhone because he used to always have my upgrade. You know, when you get an upgrade, you give him the old phone. You're not going out. You're not getting no pocket money, all those things. So now he's being even more rebellious. CJ became increasingly distant, his behaviour erratic, until one day in the winter of 2016, he vanished. I'm phoning him, where are you? Don't worry about it, phone's going down. I'm not going back and forth. I phoned friends. I phoned the friends that I do know that he's close with. Spoke to their mums. No, he's not been around here. Okay, cool. Police. Give him the police his number. He's phoned me back a few hours later, if it it was that day. Why would you give the police my phone number? I'm just like, are you actually serious, CJ? You're not at home. You're telling me you're not coming home today. Of course I'm going to the police. And I will. the next thing they're going to do is put your face all over everywhere until you come home. Oh, all right, I'm going to come home by Sunday. Well, I'm, they're going to be looking into, for you until Sunday. What's happening until Sunday? I'll be home on Sunday. Sunday came. I'd do family dinners, Sunday dinners. So Sunday roast, my mum would come down, my dad. So happened that my brothers came down as well and he brought his kids. So my house was full. He's walked in load of different bags and I've just looked on his face and he looked like he looked like he could itch his skin his eyes looked so tired he had such dark eye rings like under his eyes he looked like he hadn't slept he just looked like he was washed out and just drained he didn't want to tell me my younger brother at the time went into the bedroom with him and they were speaking and he came back out with about 485 pounds. Took that, I took all his clothes and I said, all right, well, as you don't want to tell no one where you've been, 
none of this belongs to you because I haven't bought this for you. My mum didn't even want to let me go any further. She just took him into she took him into the bedroom. I got a laugh. She said, "This is my daughter. <laughs> You're not going to kill off my daughter because I'm stressed." And she said, "This is my daughter. Where the hell have you been?" And she's holding him up. And my mum, my, my younger brother's come and said, "Mum, calm down. You're not going to get nowhere with him like that." And she's just like, "No, but CJ, what is it you want? This is your family. Look at your family in this room." And she said, "We go on holidays. We go on trips. You get things, everything. You. This is not the child that I want. You're not the child of God. My mum's a Christian. You're not the child of God that I know." Where have you learned all these things from? She was just going in. CJ went to the bathroom and washed up for dinner before joining his family at the table. And my mum said, there's two things. There's either this family in here or them stinking people out there that you're running around with. You make your choice. And he said, I want to be around this family. CJ was just 13 years old. He had disappeared for a week and come back with nearly £500 in cash. Young drug dealers talk about going conch or going OT, meaning out of town to deal crack and heroin to addicts in rural or coastal towns and villages, sometimes smaller cities, something the police have termed county lines drug dealing. We'll explore where he went and with whom in the coming episodes, but at this point Keisha just wanted her son to trust her. CJ shut her out. He said, Mum, let's not talk about it, innit? But it's the unspoken words, because I'm very... I, I, I try to find out what I know, me and my brother, my brother's... 26 so at the time he was like 24 we know what happens on the streets we was coming up with our own conclusions that he probably went county lines he went country as they call it from the winter of 2016 Keisha began to fear for her child's life she wanted to get him out of Newham and away from the drug gangs she applied to the council to be moved and secured letters of support from care workers familiar with CJ's case she moved him to live with his uncles in South London but the month before his murder, CJ insisted on returning to stay with his doting grandfather, Neville, in Forest Gate, bringing him closer to his mother. So on the Sunday, my dad's going to his sister's for dinner, because normally I'll go around there, because remember I'd do Sunday dinners at mine. Now because he's at his house, I'll do it around there. So I said, all right, so I'll do what you're saying, I don't need to cook. He goes, no, granddad's not coming. I said, oh, so you come around here for dinner? And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll come around. It's now September 2017, school holidays. Keisha was at her home in Forest Gate, and CJ was temporarily living with his grandfather round the corner. CJ didn't come home for the regular family dinner on Sunday as planned, even though Keisha was expecting him. Instead, he begged his mother to order him a pizza to his grandfather's house, and she obliged. I had a feeling that something was going to happen. And I say this because I was just like... CJ's going to get arrested for something again. Something's going to happen because this boy, like, he's doing things, but it's just not... I just, it just didn't feel right. And then I got a call saying he'd been shot. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Woodside School, so this is every year. So this is like, that's the first year, that's reception, next one, next one, next one. That's just before it goes into secondary. My producer Poppy and I are sitting with Keisha in her living room. It's a few weeks after we visited the spot where he died. Now, we're looking at photos. Memories of CJ's life. Keisha had desperately tried to secure council housing outside Newham for CJ's safety. But she wasn't allocated this house until after his death. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is weekends. This is private. So that's me. And this is weekends as well. This is, he started, this is his first one. Okay, no, so he went to diversity first. The one that I was telling you about first. And he went to um, step up. And then the last one before he passed was TDC which is in Bromley, and they just specialise in street dancing. He shot up in the last year. That was really, his hormones really, I'm talking high voice changed, all in the last six months. So all the other times of everything that he's going through, we're talking about a child with a squeaky voice. So this book is like, this is when we were just trying to show that, tell CJ that there's nothing wrong with having ADHD. So it's, it's just basically famous people that have ADHD that I could see ticking in his head. And that's what I liked about him being able to do this. This was the best one for him, Richard Branson. Because <laughs> he was like, that's the guy's plane that we got. <laughs> and I was like, and he goes, yeah. He goes, that one. I said, yeah, he's the owner of that. And he's got ADHD. I said, yeah. He goes, I don't know why they make me feel. It's like, I can't remember what he said at the time, but he was just like, no, I, I, I feel good now. Yeah. That's how I saw him after looking at this page. This is like videos of, I'll just show you this one now. This is, this is August week before. It's completely different, but I just yeah. remember this. Always dancing. Always dancing. Always showing mummy that you've got new moves. Yeah. And I'm just that mum that we watch. <laughs> because I used to be a dancer, so I like watching him. One of the videos leaps out. It's been posted to Instagram by his uncle Kadeem, one of Keisha's brothers. He's just challenged his nephew to a game of FIFA, the football video game. It's clearly tickled Kadeem. DJ, come here. Repeat what you just said. I just said, do you want to play me at FIFA? What did you just say to me? CJ smiles into the camera and cheekily retorts. Be prepared to lose. Be prepared to lose. He's like any other little boy in this country. He's wide-eyed, cheeky, innocent. He likes football and games consoles. It's a million miles from the world he's about to get sucked into. Okay, okay, I'll go back to that in a minute, but this is just to show you how many kids. This is just kids. This is just them singing to a song. You can just see all the kids. It's just loads of kids. In a video taken at his funeral, children dance in a packed hall, wearing matching T-shirts, paying tribute to CJ. They're moving too fast. Yeah, but that's me then. Dancing with them. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm about to slip. <laughs> <laughs> Among them is a young girl called Bella. Like she stands out. That's CJ's girlfriend there, Bella. Bella would talk to you guys. 
someone nobody has previously mentioned to us and hasn't featured in any of the coverage over the last few years. Silhouetted on the sidelines, there were others. People Keisha said she did not know and had not invited. People she feared were part of the gang that had taken her son away from her. I've never seen their faces and I've never seen them again since, so I can't even say who they are. Of course, they have to be from the area, but I've never made, I don't know who they are. And I don't, I wouldn't even say, okay, can you tell those boys there because there's no photos of them. They make sure they say really out of the way. They were just there really to, I don't know if they didn't want to be questioned by family members. Because again, the friends that I do know, all those kids, they'll be in the middle. They'll have t-shirts. But then there's a load of children that I don't really know. And I was like, I'm not going to question because obviously you're obviously here to... Were you worried that they might not be... No, no, no. Right. There was not going to be... I knew there wasn't going to be any issues. No, no trouble. But like, yeah. as in, you know, they might not actually be people that you would want there if you knew... Yeah, I... Probably... I, I really didn't put, want to put that in, the, in my brain. There's a lot of... You, you do a lot of soul searching on this, don't you? Like, 100%. A lot of... You talk about your identity, who your family are, and yeah. what they are. Do, what do you think drives that? Do you kind of put yourself on trial over it all? Hundred percent. Because as a parent, you just want to give your child a good start. I've been blessed to have two. With my daughter, she's a straight A student from school. She went to university, left first. She's now an entrepreneur. She does FX trading. She's built her own algorithm. She's been doing it. She's been doing this for three years. She's not a person that follows people. Yeah, she's not, a, she's not even had a relationship. She's so career-minded because of the fact of, I was a young parent. I don't want you to be me. I want you to understand there's so much in this world for you. And I don't want you to fall into the presence of the stereotypes for us. And I say that as a black person. And I, I say that because we come from a hard life. Our parents had to come over here. We got a good start in life. And mom, I've been a, my mum's always done for me. So I, that's all I know. So that's all I know to give for them. And to have a child that I had no struggles with. To now go to through one that's having so much. And he looks so much like me. And I just thought... For me, I'm a mother. I can only, I can talk to my daughter. I can relate to her. But a son I can't relate to. And unfortunately, he doesn't have that father figure to relate to. So who do I put in front of him to help him to relate to? My brothers. And they're very good, upstanding people in the community. My brothers, my older brother's a chef. My younger brother's in retail. And my dad was, was a bus driver for the whole of his life. So that shows career. And that's who I put in front of my son. And I'm seeing everybody coming down on this one boy about this ADHD. I saw a school that showed him love about this ADHD. And now I've come to another one that shows him that all you are is a bad child. CG always used to tell me, always used to tell me, Mum, I don't want to be a bad child. He wrote this. I found this after he passed. This was in his drawer. It says to Mum. I am sorry for my attitude, Mum. I just need to find a way to not get angry so quick. I'm also sorry for getting you angry, even though I just walked in the house. I think when we were in the same house together, 
I think I should just act like a normal teenager. Actually, in general, I need to act like a normal teenager. So, I am really sorry I'll and I'll try, try my, my best, best to not get you angry. From, from this, this point, point on. on. I used to upset me. This little boy is telling me that he just wants to be a normal child. He is a normal child. He is a normal child. And the fact that a child can reflect, we as adults do that now. This child had to do it all the time. I feel so sorry for him. That's what it is. As a human being, I feel so sorry that he's had to be put through all of that and he has no voice to speak on it now. So within CJ's review, the decision was made that I would look at all of the different interventions that different agencies had with him in the year up to his death. That's Nikki Hill, an independent consultant who carried out the serious case review into CJ's death for Newham Council. A local council carries out a serious case review whenever a child dies or is seriously injured in conditions where abuse or neglect are suspected. I was quite keen that we went beyond that. He was only 14. I think what became clear quite quickly and what I know from, you know, from my training and my experience is these issues do not suddenly appear overnight. These are often, you know, the experiences of young people are cumulative their response to years of their own experiences and trying to find their own place in the world. And and I think really important to understand them contextually, to understand the environment that these young people were living in. What was the picture that you built of CJ? So one of the things that I do um, is, um, as well as having all the documents in front of me, I'll also bring together the people that knew him um, in terms of the professional network that knew him. So in CJ's case, that involved, um, you know, a whole range of different people, including the police, the youth service, social care, education, youth offending service, lots of different people that knew him personally, knew him directly. What did the police say about him? Do you remember? I do remember. And in fact, I've, I've still got them. So what, what I do in these sessions is I'm, I'm always very, very passionate about making sure that the child is in the room and that we're very clear about why we're there. So I'd worked with CJ's family and we'd actually put pictures of CJ all around the room. There were pictures of him throughout his life, actually in chronological order as well as so starting with him as a baby. I give all of the participants this little cutout of a boy and they just we start the session by getting everybody just to kind of reflect on, on who CJ was. But it was so interesting seeing what came back. There was such warmth towards CJ a young person with really big dreams, really big aspirations. He was a really avid dancer and performer. So yeah, there was a the real sense about who he was, but there was all the, also this real duality to it. So as much as they saw him as this little boy, this playful character, there was also the other side to him, you know, which was somebody, and you know, I'm, use, I'm using their words rather than my own, you know, somebody that made bad decisions, somebody that was in with the wrong crowd, somebody that was, you know, getting into criminality, these two sides of him, and that actually professionals really struggled to integrate the two and to recognise that they can sit alongside each other. The relationship with CJ's dad was not a positive one. He wasn't actively engaged in CJ's life in a meaningful way. CJ wasn't close to his father, who moved north to Bradford after leaving Keisha. 
they had limited contact. Obviously, I never had the opportunity to talk to CJ about it. But I was really struck by the fact that in, in various assessments that professionals had undertaken with CJ, he actually described his dad as being dead. Um, and his dad wasn't, wasn't dead. He was just not in CJ's life. So those early relationships, CJ's sense of identity, you know, as a boy entering into adolescence and becoming a young man, the male role models he'd have had in his life. He had a lot of men in his life, including his uncles, who were incredibly positive. But that father-son relationship is really important. So this is CJ Davis, a loving son and talented dancer who was adored by his family but struggled at school and told his mother he was being forced to deal drugs. These facts are fairly well established now but it's important not to gloss over some of the serious criminality he became involved in. We'll explore this in greater detail over the coming weeks. In the final 18 months of his life, CJ was arrested multiple times. He was accused of sexual assault, although that case was later dropped. He was accused of robbery and carrying a bottle of corrosive acid. He was caught carrying a knife at a funfair and convicted. As you heard earlier, Keisha is willing to admit... I mean, I'm not trying to change or put my son in a better light, but this was, there was two months... These two are facts of his life. But as we investigate his death, each of these events also presents an opportunity for him to make a different choice or for some sort of intervention that might have meant he wasn't there when the gun was fired. Among these missed opportunities was his return from going missing that day in November 2016. Here's Nikki Hill again. Quite often the person that got them to, to travel or to leave the family home is somebody that they considered a trusted friend. So there's very mixed emotions and mixed feelings about what's happened and that the best people to unpick that with that child is somebody that's really skilled in independent return home interviews, somebody who has real expertise in unpicking that with the young person in a supportive way and helping them make sense of it, as well as eliciting information about where they've been and who they've been with. And unfortunately, in this case, as with many, that didn't happen. So we've just left Keisha's house. That's my producer, Poppy. How do you think that went? She's incredibly committed to, to telling this story and, and to, to getting her son's character and, and, and life out there. Yeah, for me, I feel I like I do know CJ a bit more from that. Even though we met at the scene and we've read about him, just seeing all those photos of him as a little boy, their holidays, videos of them, just brought him to life and brought it home. Yeah. Who he was. And, and, and the, the home environment, even though he, he never lived there, you know. I most want to speak to you, Bella, who was his girlfriend. She was there dancing at the funeral. And for me, she will have an insight into who he was hanging out with, what he was involved in and that will give us a big indication also about whether he saw himself as in a gang or not which is a bit of a grey area I think she will tell us things that no one else can Hello Hello, is that Bella? Yeah, hi Is now a good time to talk? This podcast was written and hosted by me, John Simpson, the crime correspondent for The Times. It's produced by Poppy Damon and Will Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. 
Sound design was by James Shield and Carla Patella. The actors you heard were Praise Aguda and Tion Chance. The music was composed by Cam Shuck. You can find his work at satellitestudios.co.uk. If you have any information about CJ's death, please contact us using the tips email, phone number, WhatsApp or Instagram account in the podcast description. You can also contact the police directly. The information is also in this podcast description and they're offering a £20,000 reward. This podcast was brought to you by the Stories of Our Times production team. A daily news podcast hosted by Manveen Rana and David Aronovich, bringing you one remarkable story told in depth each day. Available wherever you get your podcasts. It's also now available on the Times radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. Thank you.